Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. And all God's people say, Amen, Amen. You can be seated this morning. Praise God. God is so good, Amen. Praise God. We want to release real quick all the youth. High school, junior high, you are free to go with Alex there out to the youth room. Uh, first of all, I want to take a moment and welcome everybody that's here. We are so glad to see you. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. We also want to welcome everybody that's joining us online, and we love you and appreciate you as well. And a couple things that uh, just want to do first. What I'd like to do before we get too far into our, our service today is I would like to take a moment as a church, and um, I want to lift up right now the revival that's ongoing at Asbury College. Uh, my wife was telling me when we were driving to church this morning, she was listening a little bit about it, and um, it was they were talking about the fact that uh, they're starting to come into some uh, situations where people are sneaking in back doors and different things, and, and they're concerned uh, that they would... Uh, overfill the building and that the health or fire department would come in and, and, and shut it down. And so what the administration is doing is they, they made a call for prayer that God would give them wisdom to be able to steward this revival. If you have not heard about this, Asbury College, Christian College in Kentucky, has uh, they started off, I think it was about a week ago now, two weeks ago. Yeah, it's been a little while now. They started off and, and uh, they were in a chapel service. They started a worship uh, service, and and then there was a preacher. I, I don't remember all the things, but I know this. Their worship has not stopped. It's gone 24-7 for the last 10 days. Is that right? For the last 10 days, and thousands of people are coming from all over the world. CNN picked it up. They're covering it. And so revival must be stewarded. Amen? And so we need to pray for the leaders that are there, that God would give them great wisdom and understanding to be able to steward this very precious thing, because revival is a precious thing, amen? And uh, we just want to help them. We want to join our faith with them and partner with them, amen? So would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? So Father, right now in Jesus' name, we come boldly before your throne, and Lord, we lift up this revival, God, at Asbury College. Father, we thank you. God, for what you're doing, we thank you that your spirit is being poured out. We thank you that lives are being changed and delivered, that people are being healed and set free. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have brought this revival at this time, in this moment. Father, we know that your timing is perfect. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would give those that are in leadership there, those that are leading this, Lord, those that are administrating, Lord, that you would give them wisdom in their stewardship of this precious moment, God, that it would not just be a temporary thing, but Lord, that this would begin to move through the country. God, that it would begin to move in every state and every city, Lord, affecting every state and every city. Lord, that this, God, would move worldwide. Father, that lives would be completely and radically changed for you. Lord, that people would begin to recognize that Jesus is, in fact, King of kings and Lord of lords, and that he loves us and he has given his life for us and that thousands, millions, God will get saved and delivered and set free. And Father, we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you uh, in the days to come that in your uh, private time of, of prayer uh, that you would lift that revival up, uh, that you would continue to believe God for uh, all that God is doing there, those that are attending uh, the worship teams that are going in and playing, and then also those that are uh, leading and um, are the administrators of the facilities and the school and all of that. And so I was, I was just meditating on that, to be honest with you. And when my wife was telling me this, you know, we, we often pray for revival. I've prayed many for years for revival, praying and believing God. And, and there is a great responsibility that comes with revival. Uh, there is a great equipping that comes with revival. There is a great empowering. But uh, um, 
Revival is such a precious thing because it really is the Spirit of God. And uh, while He is absolutely incredibly durable, uh, He is also one that we need to lift up in praise and worship, and we need to be sensitive and aware of His moving and His leading. And so that, that, that gripped me this morning. I was thinking about that, and I, I thought, you know, if that, if, when, I should say, that happens here, uh, I pray that people will pray for us. Amen. Yeah. So we will partner with them, and they will partner with us. Amen. We are all part of the body of Christ. Amen. Yeah. Also, this morning, uh, I want to, again, uh, give you a, a, a heads up or an announcement on a new ministry that we have started. I mentioned this last week. Uh, it's called Love on Kingman. And what we're doing in this ministry is we are targeting people groups and specific needs. And so we have begun by targeting uh, the veteran community. Uh, Kingman has a very large veteran community uh, here, uh, precious, precious people. Uh, they are more than deserving of our honor and our help and our support. And uh, we are currently working with an organization that houses uh, temporary, they give temporary housing for um, uh, veterans that are homeless in different places. And then what they do is they move them into more permanent uh, situations. But as these veterans move into permanent uh, f uh, places, their own place, uh, they basically have nothing. And so the, the folks that run this, they've asked us, they said, well, here's some of our top needs is uh, full and queen uh, bed frames, blankets, comforters, silverware, towel sets, pots and pans. And uh, th we have this flyer. Chad and Wendy will be out in the foyer after service if you have questions. Um, we have an email now. It's loveonkingman at newlifekingman.com if you have any other questions or uh, would like to uh, uh, help and, and, or you have things that uh, you need to connect with them on. You can make donations. If you want to do a financial donation, certainly you can do it through our offering. You just write on your check in the memo or on the envelope, Love on Kingman. It will 100% goes to there. We're working on right now our online giving in that. And so there's things coming up with that. And so we'll be talking more and more about this. Now, the next thing I'm about to say about this, I hope you take this in the spirit it's being said. So this, what we don't want is for you to clean out your garage. <laughs> like, hey, see that bent frame over there? We ran over it with the car, but hey, they can have it. Don't do that. We don't, we don't want that. So if you can help in something that, that is new uh, or money or whatever, however you can do that, that would be great. And I know sometimes those kind of announcements are hard, but I, I, don't, I, I appreciate everyone's generosity and their giving, but please, um, we want to do our best. Amen? And so uh, we do this as unto the Lord, and so the Lord does absolutely deserve our best, and so do these folks. Amen? Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to the book of Romans. book of Romans will be in chapter 5. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, so I want to, this morning, uh, continue on with the series we started last week uh, entitled Living in Righteousness. Um, and I, I, what I want to say to you, because there, there's a lot in this, we're, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture this morning. And so I, in truth, this is probably more than you can digest in a day. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, I, I pray that what you do is uh, you watch it online again and again and again and again until this revelation becomes yours. Uh, because when this revelation uh, becomes yours, uh, it will uh, revolutionize everything. And before we get into the message today, what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time and I want to remind you of what we said last week because last week really was the foundation of what's going to happen in the next several weeks. And what has happened to me is I've been captivated in the last uh, little while by two thoughts uh, that I really believe the church needs to embrace. Number one is we need to embrace the understanding and the thought of our need for a deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father. I don't care who you are or where you come from, there is always room for improvement. Amen? 
If you were to talk to the apostles today, if they were alive today, right now, they would always tell you, I want more. In fact, Paul wrote in Philippians, I want more. He goes, in fact, I, I, this one thing, I don't want to do anything else but know him. At the end of the day, all I really want is to know him. I want to know him and I want to walk with him and I want to be in deep relationship with him. Can you say amen? amen? And the reason that is, is because our God is a God of more. He is not a God of just enough or enough. He is a God of more than enough. He has more. God always has more. There is no end to his supply. Can you say amen? amen. There are, it's amazing to me when you start doing a study of the Word of God, you'll find out that there are places in the Word of God that talks about warehouses in heaven that are laden with snow. Who keeps snow in warehouses? God does. God says, I got so much, I got to put it in barns and warehouses. I got, I got so much, I got enough. I got more than you'll ever use in a lifetime. I got more. I got more, and if I run out, I know the recipe ought to make more. Amen. He's a God of more than enough. Can you say amen? So we need to be held captive by this thought for our need for a deeper relationship with Him, and then also our need for a deeper walk with Him in all things. And I said it particularly this way, and the reason that I added that statement, not just a deeper walk with Him, but with Him in all things. Because what I want you to understand is that God wants to walk with you even in the smallest things, even in the mundane things, even in the insignificant things. I, I, God wants to walk with you in your daily routine. When you go to the grocery store, when you go to the gas station, or when you go pay bills, or you are just going for a stroll in the park, or whatever you're doing, God wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you. Can you say amen? He is, as the old song says, wrapped up in the details of your life. Amen. There is nothing too small for God in our relationship. I think the thing is, is oftentimes we reserve God and His uh, place in our life for those big things. A lot of times it's like, well, if I, I'm not really doing bad, things aren't going sideways, I'm just kind of living life, and God goes, hey, can I live it with you? Can I do life with you? Does God really, really want to read the Kingman Daily Minor? I don't know if He does, but He likes it when you do. And he wants to be there. And you know what? If even in your prayer time you say, hey, God, I read a really good funny. I was reading, uh, you know, Snoopy. I was re and I know I'm kind of making something silly here. But the reality is God is interested in everything in your life. Everything. It doesn't matter. God wants to walk with you in everything. And then I told you that there are two fundamental elements that must be understood and growing in our daily lives. They can't be just, it's not enough just to understand them. They must be growing. And that is our understanding of who God is in our life and who we are in Him. And the reason we said that's important is when we understand who God is in us and who we are in Him, we discover our true identity. And through that identity, we have relationship with our Heavenly Father. Amen. It's through that identity. And let me tell you something, church. The enemy of your soul, the devil, he longs to distort your identity. And the reason he wants to distort your identity is because he knows if you will believe, if you come to a place where you believe that you're something you're not, you will not relate to God the way you're supposed to. Yeah. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you, it's true. You can, and, and we'll talk about this more here in a minute, but you can go all the way back into the Garden of Eden and see this truth. All the way back into the Garden. When you go back into the Garden to the very first temptation, when Eve is standing before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's the tree that God says, I don't want you eating the fruit of that tree. That's reserved for me. Don't eat the fruit. The devil comes along and he says this. He poses a question. He goes, have you ever considered that? Have you ever considered eating that fruit? And she answers and she says, no, I, I, I haven't because God told us we can't eat this because if we eat it, we'll surely die. And the devil says, that's not true. 
He goes, that's not true. God knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be just like him. Now, in that statement, several things are happening. The devil is first attacking God's character. He's saying God is not who he said he is. And then he's telling her, you are not who he said you are. Because God said, I wanted to create them in my likeness and in my image. Amen? She was already like God. And so what does the devil do? The devil distorts this whole thing, and then she's off to the races. He creates a sense of lack in her, this sense of need. So now she feels like there's more to be had. She feels like God has held out. She's in a perfect environment, in a perfect place, in a perfect body, with a perfect relationship with God, and she's convinced there's more. And that somehow that God's holding out. And it was because of a distortion of her identity and how she saw God. And that's how sin came into the world. Are you seeing that? That's why identity is so important. See, identity in many ways is the filter through which we relate to life around us. I told you, I, I, I kind of used a really uh, mundane uh, thing in our life. I told you last week about standing in your closet looking at your clothes and that when you choose what you wear, that choice, that decision is a process of your view, your perception through your identity. We have people in this room that are fully cowboys. You say, what do you mean? They live on a ranch, they work on a ranch. When they walk in, you look at them and there is no doubt in your mind who they are. Why? They look like cowboys. They got cowboy hats on, cowboy boots, jeans, a western shirt. And they, you go, wow, that dude's a cowboy. There's people in this place that are businessmen, businesswomen, professional, and they are dressed. That way you look at them and go, oh, they're in the professional world. There's people in this place that ride motorcycles. When they come in, they got leathers on. What is all that about? That's about identity. Then there's those of us that, you know, shop at Walmart. And then there's those that go a little higher and you shop at Target. And then you really get ritzy, you're going to go to Kohl's. Ooh, now, now we're getting up a little bit. And then when you get really ritzy, you go to Dillard's and I don't go there. You can see that I am not shopping at Dillard's. I, I, go, I go into Dillard's, I go, I can get that at Walmart for like a third of the price. How many know what I'm talking about? All of that's identity. All of that is about who we are in life. And that's why identity, see, we relate to life through that filter. We, everything goes through that filter. And through our identity, it's through that identity then that we are empowered to walk with him and be like him. He said, well, why is it so important? See, walking with him begins by walking like him. You cannot walk with him if you do not walk like him. He said, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm telling you that, that Jesus is going to be in lead. Amen. Jesus is not along for the ride. And, and with all due respect for those of you that possibly have this bumper sticker on your car, God is not, in fact, your co-pilot. He is the pilot. You aren't even the stewardess. Now, that's not true. That's not true. The reality is you're the co-pilot. But he's leading. He's guiding. We are going where he determines. Amen. If he goes left, what do we do? Go left. If he goes right, what do we do? What if we decide to go right when he goes left? He will still go left. And he is going to go to his destination. And you might determine at one point, wait, hey, where are you at, Jesus? He goes, I'm doing what I've always done. I'm consistent. And if you want to be right next to me, say so, and I'll get you here in a hurry. But God is in the lead. Can you say amen? And it's at this point that we begin to discover this is where we go from being righteous in position to being righteous in behavior. Because, see, we've been given an identity, and it's not just an identity, it is a reality. But we have been given, through faith, 
the position of righteousness. God made us righteous. You will never, as long as you live, if you live to be a thousand and two on your own, you will never get righteous. Never. But through faith in Christ, he will give you his righteousness. He says, I will make you righteous. And regardless of what you've done or doing right now in this place, if you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your lifestyle may not show that or reflect that, but that is in fact who you are. You are righteous in position. You may not be righteous in behavior, but I'm telling you, you're righteous in position. So how can that be? Because that is the work of God in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the great news is this. God has not left us to our own devices to figure out how to live in righteousness on our own. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, there's a whole sermon series in that, those two verses. But for our purposes today in this series, he says all Scripture is given for instruction in righteousness. So what God does is through the act of faith, We are saved by grace through faith. Christ comes into our lives. Righteousness is imputed to us. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Old things, everything becomes new. We're a new creature in Christ Jesus. We're not an old piece of equipment with new parts. We're a brand new creation. We're a brand new species, if I said it right. We're brand new. And what he does is he imputes righteousness to us. And then he says... I know that you've had a hard time with this, so I'm going to teach you how to be who you are. And he gives us instruction. And so he gives us his word. And let me tell you something, church. This is not something that we should wink at. This is extremely important. I'll give you, an, I, I'll show you. This is what we did in the, the um, 830. You know, the Bible says this, and I'll, I'll take a, a, a difficult one. And so the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, Verses about 40, 44, 45, somewhere in the 40s. It says this, Jesus says, he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. He goes, but I say, this is instruction. He's now going to give us instruction for righteousness. I say, love your enemies. But wait, wait, I don't like my enemy. It's okay, love him anyway. Well, I want, I want, I, you know, I want to, I don't get mad, I get even. No, love them. In fact, pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. That's righteous living. That's how to walk like Jesus walked. I was noticing our, our banner that we've had up on the wall for many years now, talking about relationships, and it hit me. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 11, it says, don't just pretend to love others. I love that. This is the New Living Translation. Don't just pretend to love others. He goes, really, love them. He goes on, the lights are crazy here. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. How many know that there's a fake kind of affection? He says, genuine affection. Wow. I can't hardly read it. I can't read it. So there it is. Genuinely love them. He says, that's how you be righteous. And there are many, many, many more scriptures. That's why it's imperative. Oh, there I can see it. With genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. 
That's a good word. That's what he wants us to do. That's what he says you are. You are that. Now I'm going to instruct you. Don't pretend. Really do it. Really love people. Really love them. Don't be just fake in your affection for them. Be genuine. You ever met somebody that's really syrupy, but you know they don't care one fig about you? Oh, how are you? No. He says, kick that to the curb. Really love them. So that's what he's talking about today. This is what he's doing. And now you, you, you have to come to this place where you go, you know what, God? What I'm going to do is I'm going to embrace that instruction so that I can walk out who I really am. Amen? Now, you may be asking yourself, what is the point of all this? And you may even think this is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, but I will tell you this morning, having this clear understanding of our identity and of our position in righteousness is what separates those who chronically struggle in their Christian walk from those who enjoy real, tangible victory in their walk with Jesus. One of the things that I've noticed, not only in my Christian walk, but I've noticed in others, is that there is this dichotomy, there is this place of struggle where we seem to struggle with the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And it seems like we're getting nowhere with it. It seems like it's just this constant thing in front of us. And we've got to ask ourselves why. And the reality is, is because we've bought a lie. We've bought a lie about who we are, and so therefore for what we're doing is we are not living who we are in Christ. We are living who we believe the devil says we are. And so we struggle. It's once we let go of that that things begin to change. Here's the raw truth of it all, or the raw truth of it all, is without understanding in this revelation, we become vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. This is what we saw in the beginning, it was a lie. It was one moment of deception. Now, I know there's a lot of people, you know, I, that, you know that verse, and I believe it's in First Peter, he says, the devil, you know, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, I've heard preachers preach, oh, yeah, the devil had his teeth pulled, you know, he doesn't have a bite anymore. Or, you know, you better watch out, or he'll tear your arm off and all of that. You know, I think we give too much credit to the devil, Okay, I, th I think we talk about him, you know, the reality is, is this, is the devil basically has one power, one gift, one thing, and it's called deception, okay? And he has learned, because see, he does not have power. He doesn't. He did. He did. Before Jesus died, he had some real power. Why? Because he ripped it off. He stole it. He stole it from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve bought the lie, and because they bought the lie, what they did is they came into agreement. See, when you believe the lie of the devil, you come into agreement with the devil. When you come into agreement with the devil, what he does is he becomes empowered then to attack you. He siphons off your power and uses it against you to beat up on you. How do you know that? See... Back in the garden, he had no power. All he could do was lie. That's it. But in the garden, what happens is they, she surrenders. She says, okay, I think I'll go for what you're saying. She, he, she eats the fruit. She surrenders. She makes the moment she bit into that piece of a fruit, she made an agreement with the devil. And that agreement, whether she knew it or not, the fine print says, give me everything you have. And so then you fast forward all the way into the first century, several thousand years later, and Jesus is on the scene, he is walking the earth, and in his temptation, the devil comes to him, takes him to a high place, and in a moment of time, the Bible says he shows him all the nations of the earth. And he says this, and the wording is very interesting. He says, all this authority I will give to you if you'll worship me. Because I give it to whom I wish, because it was given to me. Well, who gave it to him? Uh, he ripped it off is what happened. It was given to me. See, by the fact that she believed the lie, by the fact that Adam didn't stand up and stop it, they believed the lie. 
And what happened is all power and authority was given to the devil, and the devil used it. He used it, but God says, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send a second Adam, and he's going to do it right, and he's going to get it legally back. And when Jesus died, paid the price, and rose again, he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. In other words, he took all that authority and power back. He made an open display of the devil publicly, and he then what he did, he gave the power back to us. Have you, have you ever had somebody working for you and they make a colossal mistake? I mean, Thomas Edison, when he first invented the light bulb, it was like a thousand tries before he got it right. And finally, he gets the light bulb just right, the first incandescent light bulb. And he hands it to his assistant and says, go upstairs, put that in the box. We're going to take this to the show. And on the way up the stairs, he drops it and breaks it. The very first light bulb. So Edison says, well, let's build another one. So he builds it, and then Edison gives it back to the assistant. You and I would go, get your hands off. <laughs> Last time I gave that to you, you broke it. You knothead, what do you think? I'm not doing that. I'm... But God says, look, it didn't work out real well the first time. Let's see how it goes this time. And he gives us all that power back, all that authority back. And what the devil does is he comes and he lies. And he lies and he says, that's not who you are. That's not what you were created to be. That's not what's going on. And when we buy into it, we make an agreement with the devil and he steals from us. There's an interesting scripture in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, that says this, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? The expression walking together is often used in Scripture to describe communion, fellowship, and partnership. Think about this. Genesis 5.24 says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now look, Enoch was not just out on some midnight strolls with God, but this was a relationship that was ongoing, continual. It was a partnership, it was communion, it was fellowship that was so intense, it finally culminated and God said, look it, I'm done coming down here, you're coming up here. Think about that. And so what we get is, can two walk together lest they be agreed? We cannot. You cannot walk with somebody unless you agree with them. Because somebody has to lead. Are you hearing me? So here's the moral of that story. What you agree with will determine who you walk with. And who you walk with determines what you agree upon. Are you hearing me? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18, and then 7 verse 1 says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters says the Lord Almighty. Verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us clean ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now in this, is God packed a lot of stuff in here. Let me tell you what he's not saying. What he's not saying is for us to go sequester ourselves on a mountain so that we are not affected by the world. That's not what he's saying. In fact, there's another place he's talking, and he says, how will they hear unless there's a preacher? In other words, you got to go be among them. But don't be like them. Don't, don't go out there and become them. Don't make agreements with them. Don't, don't act like them. Be who you're called to be. You are light. You are not darkness. You are the temple of the living God. You are not filled with idolatry. 
You are righteousness. You are not lawlessness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are a believer, not an unbeliever. So he's not telling us to get out of the world. He's telling us to walk differently. He's telling us, and then verse, chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now that you know who you are, I want you to do this. I want you to begin to take instruction, and I want you to cleanse yourself from all filthiness. In other words, what I want you to do is I want you to slowly but surely get rid of those things you've made agreements with. I want you to push them off. Say, that's not me. Here's the point. No matter if it's sin, a lie, temptation, a lack of understanding, or doubt and unbelief, when we connect, believe, toy with, accept, or surrender to any of these things, we make an agreement with them. And ultimately, we walk with that darkness, giving power to the enemy. That is why it is so important that we understand our identity and our position in righteousness. Can you say amen? Now, for the rest of the sermon, what I want to do is I want to take a a journey through some very powerful scripture, a lot of scripture, because this is going to help us this morning to understand and know what we truly have in Jesus. And we're going to begin in Romans chapter 5. Now, in the rest of this series, we're going to look at Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, because it's powerful. It is off the hook. Paul, in chapter 4, gets done with this wonderful description of what faith looks like and how that faith results in us becoming righteous in Christ. Amen? Amen. Having done nothing except receive salvation by grace through faith, we are righteous. And if we don't get that reality, that we are in fact righteous, we will never walk it out in our behavior. Amen. If the devil can tempt you to sin, then he will deceive you in believing that you are still under the control of sin. If I could just for a moment be a little controversial, can I do that? Is that all right? And I want to pick on a statement that's been often made, and it has caused me in the past a lot of grief. (laughs) Back in the day, I was called a heretic. So I'm going to risk it. I'm going to roll the dice. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Boy, that's one of the biggest lies ever sold to the church. <laughs> Let me see if anybody walks out. Nope. Okay. See, why is that? I, I understand the sentiment. I understand what they're trying to say. But the problem is, is it's identifying with something that we are not. I am not a sinner. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a saint of God. I am the bride of Christ. I'm a son of God. I'm a prince and king before him. I'm a part of his body. And I could go on and on and on and on. You will not find in the word of God where once we've been saved, we're called sinners. And I know there's always somebody in the crowd, so I look forward to your emails, cards, and letters. Paul said, oh, I'm the chief of sinners. He was talking about a condition that was past tense. And I'm going to show you that later. Not, not today, but later. And so what happens is we come to this place and go, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And what we're really doing is we're using the, here, we, we've actually even kind of morphed it. Be patient with me. God's not done with me yet. Because what it does is it gives us excuse to be anything we want without responsibility. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not die on that cross and pay for your sins so that now you get to add a little bit of your payment to it. Jesus is enough. And then he gave us instruction in righteousness so that we can actually live out what he says we are. Can you say amen? 
And so we come to this place where we've got to understand that we are the righteousness of God. So how do we do that? Let's go to the Word. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, why is the therefore therefore? Because he just got done talking about faith. Therefore, having been justified, what? Redeemed, reconciled, made right before God in righteousness by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith in this, uh, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul in this scripture is talking about a reunion of epic proportion. We who were estranged from God, separated by sin, have now peace with God. Where it was before animosity, there is now peace. And it's not just the fact that things have been made right with God, but now we have access to God. We can, as Hebrews chapter 4.16 says, come boldly before the throne of grace. And in that place... We can find everything we need. Listen to verse 2 of Romans 5 in the Amplified Bible. Therefore, through him, we also have access by faith into this remarkable state of grace in which we firmly and safely and securely stand. Let us rejoice in our hope and in the confident assurance of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God and the manifestation of his excellence and power. Now, I need you to think about that statement. Through him, we also have access by faith into this remarkable state of of grace. This word grace here is nothing short of the power and the presence of God. It is divine ability. It is God's help in our lives. Because we are made right with God by faith, we now live in a remarkable state of grace, a place where we are surrounded by His love, His goodness, His power, and His blessing. Can you say amen? Peter picked this up in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. He said, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine grace, His power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we would be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Listen to that. This is who we are. Amen. We are partakers of the divine nature. Oh, well, you got a sin nature. No, I don't. I'm going to show you in chapter 6. It's dead, nailed to the cross. See, church, somewhere what's happened, and I... I, What's happened is church tradition and religion, fear has gotten in the way. Preachers that are afraid of their congregations running wild and running amok have used distortions of the word of God as a bat to pull people into a place of of performance and righteousness. You cannot, you know what the problem is? We don't perform real well on our own. It's only when we are in Christ. It's when I'm walking with him in tandem. He says, come, all to, uh, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Do you know why that is? It's because it is a picture of an experienced ox that has carried the yoke. Yoke to an inexperienced ox that don't know what he's doing. And he says, take my yoke. I'll show you the way. When we hook to him and walk in his way, we cannot help but walk in righteousness. For years I labored to be good. Hard labor. I got to be good. I can't do nothing. I can't. I can't. Now look at. I'm not saying that we should just go run amok. That's not... You'll see, this whole, this whole thing in Romans has just got me flabbergasted here. 
Paul even does that. I mean, in verse 1 of 6, it's like, oh, what, grace is abounding, so we've got to go sin? Of course not. Don't be a bonehead. I, that's, that's John's addition to it. This is why Paul then could write in Romans 5, 3 through 4, not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that, tri- wait a second, I'm glorying in tribulation? I don't like that. God, I don't like that. Do you know why we could glory in tribulation? It's because it produces something. When you are living in righteous righteousness, when you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, your tribulation is not to torment you. It is to move you into a place where you see the hand of God. He says we can glory in tribulation because it produces per- perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given. He said, this has a purpose in your life. You are going to overcome the trial. You are going to overcome. Look at, and then what we do is we come to this place where we can even celebrate and glory in our trouble and we can count it all joy when difficult moments come because in this state of grace, Tribulation births something in us. It births the perseverance. It births the character. And it produces hope. And it will not disappoint us. Paul picked it up again in 2 Corinthians 12 when he's talking about his own life. He says in 12, 8 through 10, he says, concerning this thing, this thing was a problem that he was dealing with. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, he didn't say no. He simply told him how it was going to depart. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches and needs and persecution and distress for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, what he was saying is, I'm glad when I have a difficult day. I'm glad when troubles come because it's another opportunity to see the power of God move through and for me in my life because I live in this remarkable state of grace because of faith. I am the righteousness of God and Christ Jesus. It is not that sin is acceptable. I'm going to say it very clearly. If you're sinning, stop it. It's the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it is from that point of view we must live our lives. So finally, as I wind this down, we're going to look at for Romans 5, 6 through 11, and this is from N.T. Wright's version. He writes this. He says, this is all based on what the Messiah did. While we were still, sinner, sti- while we were still weak, at that very moment, he died on behalf of the ungodly. It is a rare thing to find someone who will die on behalf of an upright person, though some might. I suppose die for a good person, but this is how God demonstrates his own love for us. The Messiah died for us while we were still sinners. How much more in that case, since we have been declared to be right by his, to be in the right by his blood, are we going to be saved by him from God's coming anger? When we were enemies, you see, We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. If that's so, how much more, having already been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And that's not all. We even celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. They say, what is all that about? This verse, this passage, describes to us the depth at which God went to reconcile us back to himself. The Messiah himself, the son of the living God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, took off majesty, 
put on uh, humanity, and he died for us while we were still sinners. He died. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being what? In the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he understood who he was. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What are we learning so far? Think about this as I close. What have we learned? We've learned that because of Jesus and his work on the cross, we have salvation by grace through faith. We have been redeemed. We've been reconciled, restored, and made righteous by no work of our own, but by faith in him. Because of this position of righteousness, peace between God and man has been restored. We have access to his presence and his power at any time for anything. We live in a remarkable state of grace, divine divine ability with great and precious promises given so through them we may be partakers of the divine nature. Therefore, we glory and celebrate in our tribulation, knowing that in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Our troubles are working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. That the trying of our faith is bringing us to a place of hope, and hope will not disappoint. Amen. And finally, we can see just how far God went to bring us home. Church, the reason this has just amazed me because I see not only in my life, but I see in the lives of others, struggle that we ought not to have. Not because we're bad people, or not because we are unable or inept, or because we're sinners, or because we're simply because we just don't understand. We have not had a revelation of the truth. And because of that, the devil has been able to come and distort. He's distorted the Word of God. He's distorted who we are. He comes in, you know, he comes in, in waves. It's, it's, it's weird because I was, I was talking with Donna about this just this morning. We were talking about depression. How many know depression is never from God? Depression, the Bible defines it as a spirit of heaviness. Isaiah 61 says he gave us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But you know, in those moments when depression comes, if you've ever had that moment, it seems so real. It's convincing. He's really good at it. He's really good at it. But see, when you don't have a revelation, when you don't know who you are, when you don't know what the Word says, you have no ability to retaliate, to stand and say, wait, this is not who I am. See, when you believe that that you're a failure, then you, it seems real. I'll share with you just my heart. The Part of the reason I preach this is because I said it to the 830 service, you ain't getting it, I am. So this is worth it. So if you all got to go on my journey, well, get on board. Because I struggle. I struggle. There are moments when there are, there's, there's sometimes, and they can culminate into days worth of struggle where I just, I, I'll, I'll leave the pulpit and be convinced that I absolutely, utterly failed. That I, that, yeah, and, and I do, I hear it, Donna, I, I do, I hear people say, oh no, you're, you're great, you're good, you're all of this, but in that moment, it is so 
real. It's so real. And the devil is really good at pointing out evidence. Because what he does is he takes a really small thing and he blows it up. He has smoke and mirrors and a special... Do you remember the old cartoons back in the 60s and 70s where the mouse would look really big and Tom the cat would be freaked out? Remember? I'm looking at a a lot more older people in here. I'd look over to the young people, but I don't know that... I'd have to say, you know, Power Rangers or Ninja Turtles or something. I don't know. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. So what is it? Tom and Jerry's fine. You're all good with that? Okay. But that's what the devil does. He distorts. And he makes it feel so real. But see, when I have this truth, when I have this landmark, this lighthouse that stands there, it shows me the way home. Just the other day, I was struggling. Well, probably all the way up till 10, 10 15, I think. <laughs> I went through the 8th service, the 30 service going, I don't know. But, I, but as I'm struggling, I was telling Kathy about it. I, we were talking yesterday, and I was in my office, and I was just sharing with her. I said, these are the things I feel, and I know absolutely they're wrong. They feel so real, and I have to reject them. And listen, that's what you have to do. See, what you have to do, you have to pretend you're a pilot in an airplane. And what pilots happens, if you're not not what they call uh, instrument rated, if you're only, you, you haven't done that, if you haven't flown the plane by instrument, then you, if you get into a cloud, it can be very dangerous because your body will convince you that you are flying one way when the instrument says you're flying another. And what you have to do, what the biggest part of that training is to trust the instrument. You say, I feel like I'm upside down. I know, but the instrument says you're flying right. And the moment you let go of that trust and say, no, I'm going to go by how I feel, you'll nose into the ground and you'll die. That's why feeling, feelings are good servants, but they're horrible masters. Feelings will lead you into oblivion. Feelings will help you navigate around stuff and they will give you information that's vital to you to lead, but they cannot lead you because they'll lie to you. And the devil will exploit your feeling. He'll come and he'll, he'll take that evidence and go, see, look it. Look what you did. Right there, we have it. Case closed. And that's when you got to hear Jesus go, evidence not allowed. It's inadmissible in this court. And and the devil will stand up and say, why? And Jesus will look him square in the eye and he'll say, because my blood covers that problem. Therefore, in this court, it is inadmissible. Can't use it against this one. My blood, he's accepted my blood. So I poured it out on it and it washed it clean. It's to me, it's white as snow and I'm the judge. So you're out. And you have to resist. You have to go, no, I'm not going to buy into that. And even if it takes a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, don't stop. Say, no, devil, I am not that. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Period. Amen. Once we bow our heads. Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we ask that you cause this revelation to live in all of us. And Father, we're careful to give you the praise. I wonder, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, and anyone that may be watching online, I wonder if you're here and you say, you know what, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I'm not right with God today. And I've listened to this message, and I want to give my life to him. If that's you, would you lift up your hand right now all across this place? Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you. I see those hands. And if you're online right now and this is you and and you want to receive Christ into your life, then here in a moment we're going to pray. We're going to, as a congregation, pray. And I want you, wherever you're at right now, to, to bow your head. And I want you to begin to pray. And say these words. Let's all of us say it. Say, Father, I come before you.
and I give you my life and I surrender to you and I receive your life and your forgiveness in replace of my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to tell you whether you're at home or you're here, it's the greatest thing you've done. I'm going to ask my prayer team if they would come quickly before we stand, ask the prayer team to come up. And you know what? If you're here today and you're in this house and you raised your hand, come up and let one of these pray with you. Let them know that you've given your life to Christ. If you're online and you gave your life to Jesus, then just write a note to us in the message. Help us, give us some contact information and we'll get a hold of you. We appreciate you. We love you. Let's all stand to our feet today. We're going to release you, let you go. You guys have a great Sunday. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.